lecture ten on prayer all things whatsoever you ask when you pray believe that you shall receive and they shall come to you st mark chapter eleven verse twenty four before entering upon the important subject of patience in prayer it will be expedient to give some instruction on the true spirit of prayer the path of prayer is the king's highway from earth to heaven whilst the body remains on its kindred earth the spirit ascends on the wings of grace into that divine region of light and good for which she was created this royal path leads the soul into the eternal presence there to plead her cause with her creator and sovereign lord there to converse in the humble spirit of childlike affection with her heavenly father there to receive his good and perfect gifts this royal highway to god was opened for us by our lord jesus christ was consecrated by his prayers and sufferings and was illuminated by his ascension to heaven through the path which he opened by his incarnation he bridged the whole distance between the creature and the creator he is himself the way the light of the way and its security through him we have access to the father who answers us with mercy and benignity i go to the father and whatsoever you ask the father in my name that will i do that the father may be glorified in the son st john chapter fourteen verse thirteen this holy path of prayer was figured in the vision of jacob reposing in solitude with his head upon a stone he saw a ladder ascending from earth to heaven and the lord leaned upon the ladder and the angels of the lord ascended and descended they ascended with the prayers of mortals and descended with the gifts of god prayer is the golden key that unlocks the celestial treasury to our spiritual wants and opens the door of god's providence to our temporal necessities in bountiful reply to the cry of our hearts comes that holy light which enlightens our minds that grace of life which removes our offences that fire of charity that kindles our soul with love that fortitude which strengthens us with the gifts of the holy ghost in a word prayer is the commerce of the soul with god through jesus christ in the supreme affair of our salvation and perfection i am the way and the truth and the life no one cometh to the father but by me st john chapter fourteen verse six prayer is therefore the noblest and most exalted action of which man is capable through the grace of god it is the sublimest act of the human intelligence and the greatest act of the human will if we put its whole grandeur into a sentence it is the action of god's created image seeking union with her divine original and seeking it so that this image may be healed from offence and perfected into likeness by the reception of life from the eternal life and be prepared for beatitude through the gifts that descend from god's infinite perfection 
so wonderful is the power of true prayer as to make it evident to reason as well as to faith that its efficacy can never depend upon such weak and sinful creatures as we are again there are obstacles in our own nature in those many and strong attractions to ourselves against the exercise of true and pure prayer which not only require a divine mediator of prayer but a divine mover of prayer this mover is the holy spirit of god st paul has taught us this we hope for that which we see not we wait for it in patience likewise the spirit helpeth our infirmity for we know not what we should pray for as we ought but the spirit himself asketh for us with unspeakable groanings and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what the spirit desireth because he asketh for the saints according to god romans chapter eight verses twenty five through twenty seven the holy spirit is the prime mover of all the true prayer that created spirits offer in supplication or adoration to the holy trinity he is also the helper and supporter of our supplications but these prayers obtain their effective power from the sacrifice and the pleadings of our lord jesus christ such is the sublime dignity of prayer what then is our part in this holy exercise to follow the inspirations to obey the movements and attractions of the holy spirit the divine comforter of souls whom jesus christ promised us to be our paraclete our other advocate with the father moves us to repentance dwells in our heart by charity and helps our infirmity with the light of his wisdom and the power of his gifts our prayers are then attached to the prayers of jesus christ our sufferings to his sufferings and our patience to his patience the holy spirit the most sublime lover of our souls moves our will by his grace and sustains our humble petitions and we when we pray in spirit and in truth respond to his movements and whilst groaning under our mortal burden sigh in desire beyond what words can express to be delivered from all that is weak sinful and miserable in ourselves and to be brought to the perfect charity and peace of god such is the sublimity of christian prayer moved and helped by the holy spirit resting for its efficacy on the merits of christ and formed in the soul by humble obedience to those divine inspirations the prayer of the christian transcends the whole order of creation and for the love of his incarnate and crucified son and of the loving action of his holy spirit the father beholds that prayer with clemency and repays it with mercy and bounty the soul herself is drawn to follow her prayer and in following approaches near to god the spirit is humbled in the consciousness of her wants the heart is opened and filled with reverence the virtues rise into our prayer and receive greater perfection from this holy exercise truth is enlightened to us hope is elevated love is enkindled 
repentance deepened for the divine virtues rest the soul on god and adhere to him as their one true object such is the spirit of true prayer if trial comes to darken the understanding and dry the affections so long as right intention remains the efficacy of prayer is not lessened but is rendered more effectual through the greater faith and patience with which it is continued for the object of prayer is not to please ourselves but to honour god and to open to him the desires of our heart and the more our prayer costs us the more precious it is in the sight of god we then fully realize the words of st paul we hope for that which we see not we wait for it in patience prayer then is not an affair of words but an action of the internal spirit words are but an imperfect instrument for the manifestation of the deeper movements of the soul there is a great deal in the action of true prayer which words are incapable of expressing the truest word of prayer is the interior and spiritual word that word of the spirit which consists in the silent movements of the soul's desires towards god the posture of the body again should be a kind of silent word expressive of the interior posture of the soul of the prayer of words without the prayer of the heart the almighty speaks with indignation this people draw near me with their mouth and with their lips glorify me but their heart is far from me and they have feared me with the doctrines and commandments of men isaiah chapter twenty nine verse thirteen the hour cometh saith our lord and now is when the true adorers shall adore the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeketh such to adore him god is a spirit and they that adore him must adore him in spirit and in truth st john chapter four verses twenty three and twenty four when therefore our lord gave us a form of prayer made his sacrifice the centre of worship and ordained his sacraments he required that we should put our spirit into his prayer and our heart into his sacrifice and sacraments st paul has indicated the vast difference between the spiritual prayer of the new law and the ceremonial prayer of the old where he says i will pray with the spirit i will pray also with the understanding i will sing with the spirit i will sing also with the understanding one corinthians chapter fourteen verse fifteen we adore the father in truth when we pray in the faith of christ jesus the eternal truth we adore him in spirit when we pray in the grace of his holy spirit for grace and truth came by jesus christ st john chapter one verse seventeen when therefore we assist at the holy sacrifice in which jesus christ the very truth pleads for us or join in the solemn offices of the church or having shut the door pray to the father in secret our prayer must be in spirit and in truth and the words we use must express the inward movements and desires of the heart for the father seeketh such to adore him 
hence vocal prayer should be mental as well as vocal and spiritual as well as mental whenever we say the lord's prayer or the devout prayers which the church provides or recite the inspired psalms we must remember that the words are given us to waken up in our souls the profound sense of what they signify and to move us by spiritual action to put that sense into the words we utter that the mind may accord with the voice true prayer observes st gregory the great is not to be found in the words of the voice but in the thoughts of the heart the voices that reach the ears of god are not words but desires if we seek the eternal life with our lips without desiring that life with our heart our outcry is nothing but silence but when we desire that life from our heart though our mouth be silent in that silence we cry to god hence holy job exclaims who will grant me a hearer that the almighty may hear my desire job chapter thirty one verse thirty five and the psalmist says the lord hath heard the desire of the poor thy ear hath heard the preparation of their heart psalm ten verse seventeen all true prayer even that which is called vocal resolves itself into mental and spiritual prayer it includes the internal motives that enlighten and elevate the mind and the internal aspirations of desire that move the soul towards god and the words are but the outward expression of those internal motives and movements true vocal prayer therefore is the outward language of internal adoration and of supplication in spirit and in truth pure mental prayer uses no external words but only internal words the more the soul is habituated to this interior prayer the more perfectly will she make her vocal prayer this needs no proof for it is obvious that when the soul is accustomed to interior recollection she will carry that recollection with ease into her vocal prayer and as the truly recollected soul sees god everywhere she will especially find him in the language of prayer which to the recollected heart is the most congenial of all languages the hand has five pliant and docile fingers which lay hold of their objects and do their work but the three first have the chief power the soul has also five faculties which are employed in mental prayer and by means of which we take hold of the objects of the soul and work with them but of these faculties three are principal and purely spiritual the memory in which our light and knowledge are stored the understanding by which we draw light and knowledge from the stores of memory and the will by which we consent to or refuse what is before us by which we love or hate by which we desire or refuse to desire by which we assent or dissent and by which we make resolutions to determine and guide our actions but besides these three superior faculties there are two others which when they work in their right and proper order are subordinate to them 
these are the imagination which gives to the mind the images of external and visible things and the interior sense which on its inferior side is in communication with the corporal senses and on its superior side is in communication with the spiritual gifts of god whereby we feel the things of god that move our spiritual affections st paul says they that are according to the spirit mind the things that are of the spirit romans chapter eight verse five and again strong meat is for the perfect for them who have their senses exercised in the discerning of good and evil hebrews chapter five verse fourteen through the help of the imagination we represent to ourselves the life of christ the truths of the gospel and the mysteries of faith but in ways that are more or less figurative these pictures of the mind are illuminated by the light given us and are perfected from the stores of truth in our memory the next step is to penetrate with the understanding through these sensible images or words into their interior and spiritual sense and thus rise from the visible representation to the pure truth as it is in god feeling that truth feeding upon it and absorbing it into the soul as the bee extracts honey from the flowers thus meditation is a gradual ascent of the mind by the act of the will from the sensible representation of sacred things formed in the imagination with the help of memory to their interior and spiritual sense and signification and from their interior sense and signification the mind ascends to the pure truth as it is in god so that what begins in meditation ends in contemplation in my meditation says holy david a fire shall flame out psalm thirty eight verse four as truth enters the soul her desires open the holy spirit of truth moves the affections the spiritual sense is touched with the flame of love and the soul is moved to love to adore and to resolve upon her conduct meditation leads to contemplation as the soul ascends in greater simplicity from the figures and images of truth to the very truth as it is in god divested by degrees of that sensible and multiplied imagery with which it is clothed to our senses and imagination the soul looks into that truth and feels that truth with a simple eye and a simple heart and so receives it by dwelling upon it that it greatly increases the knowledge of god and of ourselves for when by the divine attraction the soul rises from the labour of meditation to the simple tranquillity of contemplation god makes a partial revelation of himself to the contemplating soul and in his light we see light psalm thirty five verse ten thus the will uses the imagination to represent those visible things that help to bring the mind to god and especially with the help of memory brings the mind into contact with the person life words actions sufferings death 
and glorious mysteries of our god and saviour jesus christ the understanding enlightened by faith penetrates into the interior spirit and sense of what the imagination externally represents to us but it is the will that moves the understanding to dispose ascensions in the heart rising from truth to truth until our soul rests upon the one supreme truth and infinite good who is the final end of all desire and therefore of all prayer our spiritual sense most intimately connected with the will and the receptive cause of our spiritual affections when it is touched by the spirit of god is that which gives us the feeling of refreshment and consolation in prayer touched by the light and sense of god the will bends down our whole being to his divine influence and illuminated by his truth lays open her infirmities and her wants to his mercy and goodness and performs all the offices of prayer and praise the great obstacles to prayer are self-love the inconstancy of the will and the sadness that results from self-love and inconstancy self-love draws our sense thought and will to ourselves instead of surrendering them to god and to the guidance of his holy spirit this causes the will to vibrate like a pendulum but in a very unsteady way between god and oneself making the soul restless impatient inattentive and wandering yet we cannot look to god and to ourselves at the same time we cannot feel after god and after ourselves at the same moment this is not pure prayer but prayer mixed with distraction self-love and confusion this generates sadness which injures or destroys the zest for prayer yet this gives us no knowledge of ourselves because we learn to know ourselves as we are reflected in the light of god prayer is either public or private public prayer is essentially vocal that all who are assembled for its performance may unite and pray in common to all who are thus united with one heart and soul especially in the church or in the family our lord has promised that he will be in the midst of them but if the father seeks the true adorers to adore him in spirit and in truth why do we use vocal prayer first because christ has taught us to use vocal prayer and has given us a perfect form of it by way of example secondly because as members of the church we owe to god and to each other the public communion of prayer as well as mutual edification thirdly because vocal prayer is designed for the outward expression of internal prayer the prayer in spirit and truth fourthly because the words and signs of prayer especially those provided by the church awaken the inward mind and heart to apprehend the light and sense of prayer and move the affections to lift up the soul in prayer as saint augustine says by words and signs we are more keenly wakened up to holy desires fifthly as our body has been the instrument of sin 
it should be made the submissive instrument of the service of god sixthly the united supplication of heart and voice especially becomes those who pray for the remission of their sins the prophet osi says to sinful israel take with you words and return to the lord and say to him take away all iniquity and receive good and we will render the calves of the lips Osi chapter fourteen verse three the calves of the lips is a figurative expression for the sacrificial offerings of the voice the tongue is a great offender it should therefore be a great expiator seventhly it may be added that a humble posture of body responsive to the humility of soul especially becomes us in penitential and supplicatory prayer that the whole man may be vocal as well as the voice hence the custom from the beginning of the church of not only kneeling striking the breast and prostrating but also of extending the arms in supplication towards heaven that the body may not only not oppose or contradict the movements of the soul but may express and help her pious movements st augustine has pointed out another excellence of vocal prayer namely that whilst the words help to take us from distraction and raise our mind to god they remind us of what we are of what we want and of what we ought to desire from god when for example we cast our eyes on the words of the lord's prayer they become as a luminous mirror in which the divine master of prayer shows us the excellence and fruitfulness of prayer the chief wants of the soul and the virtues to be put forth in prayer the fundamental condition of prayer essential for obtaining its end is attention but this attention depends for its constancy and perseverance on the virtue of patience as we shall explain in the next lecture we shall here give the doctrine of attention from st thomas the prince of theologians because anxious and timid souls stand in need of a great authority to quiet their apprehensions and to put them at peace with respect to distractions in prayer even holy persons are subject at times to wanderings in prayer and the holy psalmist says of himself my heart is troubled my strength hath left me and the light of my eyes is not with me yet he had said just before lord all my desire is before thee psalm thirty seven verses ten and eleven vocal prayer requires two kinds of attention attention to the words and attention towards god but the first and most necessary attention is to the end of prayer which is an elevation of our attention to god this is necessary to prayer the second is the attention necessary for obtaining the effects or fruits of prayer the fruits of prayer are of three kinds these are the merit of prayer the obtaining of what we ask for in prayer and the refreshment given to the soul in prayer the first effect or fruit of prayer as of all good works done in a state of grace and charity is its merit always be it understood 
through the merits of our lord jesus christ to obtain this fruit it is not necessary that actual intention should continue through the whole prayer because the force of the first intention with which the prayer is begun continues virtually throughout and renders the whole prayer meritorious the second effect and that which is proper to prayer is to obtain the divine answer to our prayer to obtain this result the first intention will also suffice because god looks principally to that intention but if there is no first intention begun prayer cannot be meritorious nor will it obtain the good we came to ask for for as saint gregory says god hears not the prayer of him who gives no attention to his prayer but it should be noted that attention to god whilst we pray is attention to prayer the third effect or fruit of prayer is its immediate influence on the soul in giving that soul a certain refreshment and consolation this of necessity requires a continual attention to prayer hence st paul says if i pray in a tongue my spirit prayeth but my understanding is without fruit one corinthians chapter fourteen verse fourteen the apostle speaks of a tongue that is unknown to him who prays and which he therefore cannot understand we must next understand that there are three kinds of attention any of which may be given to the words of vocal prayer we may attend to the words alone so as to make no mistake in repeating them or to the sense of the words as well or to the object and end of prayer that is to god and to the good that we seek of god this last is necessary and essential attention an attention which even the simplest and most unlettered minds can give sometimes as hugh of st victor observes in holy souls devoted to prayer this attention to god is so abundant that for the time all things else are forgotten and we ourselves have known certain holy souls with such a gift of prayer and from time to time so absorbed in god that on first returning to themselves they knew not where they were nor what was around them from these principles and their explanation we are now in a position to draw the following conclusions first we pray in spirit and in truth when we approach to prayer from the movement of the holy spirit even though in the course of prayer the mind should wander owing to infirmity secondly we must understand that the human mind on account of its infirmity cannot remain in an elevated state of recollected prayer for long because the weight of infirmity brings the soul down to inferior things it thus happens that when the mind has ascended to god in contemplation after a time it will suddenly go astray and that from no other cause than the infirmity of nature thirdly if any one of said intention wanders away in mind from attention to prayer this is sinful and it hinders the fruit of prayer but those distractions of mind that are not intentional do not take away the fruit of prayer st basil says 
if through being enfeebled by sin you cannot pray with fixed attention hold your attention together as much as you can and god will pardon your defects because it is not from negligence but from frailty that you cannot keep yourself in god's presence as you ought fourthly it will give a most valuable light to prayer if we further consider with st thomas how great the distinction is between the present consolation received in prayer and the future benefits to be derived from it consolation is not always felt in prayer and when it is absent the soul is sometimes tempted to imagine that the essential rewards of prayer have not been obtained because they have not been made sensible to us in the time of prayer but this notwithstanding they are in the hands of god for our future good to express the truth briefly and in the words of the famous dr alexander hales in our present state in which our fallen nature is undergoing reparation we advance to god more through adversity than through prosperity and this is true even in prayer our faith trust love humility and patience are perfected by adhering to god without present consolation whenever god so wills it and without our having the present knowledge of the good things which god has in store for us like every other good act prayer obtains its merit from the root of charity which the holy spirit gives us but the proper object of charity is the eternal good which it prepares us to enjoy the prayer that proceeds from charity and obtains the good things of heaven is also accompanied in a special manner by those other virtues that belong to the good of prayer by faith by humility by patience and devotion faith believes that we shall obtain what we seek humility knows how much we stand in need of what we seek patience gives steadfastness to our attention and devotion prefers god to all things the granting of our petitions is from the grace of god by whom we are attracted to pray but as st augustine observes god would not move us to pray if he did not wish to give and st chrysostom remarks that god never denies his benefits to those whom his paternal piety instigates in such a manner that they do not fail in praying to him our divine lord himself assures us that whatsoever you shall ask the father in my name that will i do that the father may be glorified in the son st john chapter fourteen verse thirteen these are divine words words of truth addressed to our belief and deserving to be diligently taken to heart in the same divine discourse our lord says again amen amen i say to you if you ask the father anything in my name he will give it you st john chapter sixteen verse twenty three how he will give it we shall see presently but the prayer that proceeds not from sanctifying grace has no divine element in it and has no more merit than any other good action that is not done in charity 
yet even the prayer that implores the grace of conversion and the gift of sanctifying grace proceeds from an awakening grace for prayer is always the gift of god we shall better understand the merit of prayer if we keep this principle in mind that prayer is chiefly and before all things ordained with respect to our final beatitude when therefore we ask for other things if they stand in the way of our beatitude they will not be granted because this would not contribute to our greater good if then we ask anything of god for ourselves which he sees would not be useful towards our beatitude it would be of no merit to obtain what we ask for but when our intention is good god in his goodness will give us not what we think it would be best to receive but what he sees it will be best to give and what will contribute to our eternal life hence st augustine says when we ask of god in good faith for the necessities of this life he is as merciful when he does not hear as when he does hear us for the physician knows better what is good for the sick man than the sick man knows himself when st paul prayed to be freed from the thorn in his flesh his prayer was not granted because it was not expedient for him but grace was given him to bear it it remains to consider the words of st luke and he spoke to them a parable that we ought always to pray and not to faint st luke chapter eighteen verse one and the words of st paul pray without ceasing in all things give thanks for this is the will of god in jesus christ concerning you all one thessalonians chapter five verses seventeen and eighteen and those words to timothy i will therefore that men pray in every place lifting up pure hands without anger or contention one timothy chapter two verse eight to understand this doctrine of perpetual prayer we must draw a distinction between the spirit of prayer and the formal exercise of prayer or as st thomas puts it between the cause of prayer and actual prayer the spirit or cause of prayer is in the desires of charity from which all prayer ought to proceed these desires of charity ought to be continual if not in act at least in habit and virtually for this virtual desire abides in all that we do from the love of god it is in this sense that our prayer should be continual and never ceasing so st augustine instructs proba as long as our desires continue in faith hope and charity we are always praying but the actual exercise of prayer cannot be continual because we have other works to do and other duties to engage our minds but as st augustine teaches in the same instruction we have certain hours and intervals of time in which to pray to god in words that helped by those signs we may admonish ourselves and know how far we have advanced in holy desires and may more keenly awaken up ourselves to increase them in god's sight holy desires are prayers as food is proportioned to corporal health 
prayer should be proportioned to spiritual health whilst we perform our due share of public prayer and our regulated duty of private prayer what is left to free choice should not be continued further than will do us the good of keeping up the fervour of interior desire beyond this measure it will become tedious and distracting and will cause a distaste for prayer but this measure is very different for different persons there are highly privileged souls though rare whose interior habit of prayer is almost continual though not in words yet in recollection yet so far from interfering with external duties and conversation this interior recollection is of great profit to them this brings us to that method of prayer which is called aspirative or ejaculatory this prayer consists of brief aspirations or short and fervid sentences sped like arrows from the heart it is a prayer of inestimable value that can be used at all times and in all places and interiorly amidst all occupations it keeps up the flame of desire fosters the interior life and when it becomes habitual is an unspeakable consolation owing to its brevity purity and simplicity it neither wearies the soul nor is subject to distraction these qualities and especially its efficacy in nourishing the flame of spiritual desire made it the favourite devotion of the hermits and conventuals of the desert and it is still the favourite method of all truly devout persons it is suited to every mind and disposition even to those who find it difficult to fix their attention in other kinds of prayer it is an invaluable resource to those who have difficulties in meditation it also forms the more active part of contemplation to quote again the celebrated letter on prayer addressed by st augustine to proba the body may be sound but the soul can never be sound and healthy that prefers temporal to eternal things but where the love of eternal things exists this kind of prayer is not only easy but delightful we are told that the brethren in egypt use frequent prayers that are brief and swiftly ejaculated this they prefer to slower methods that the vigilant and elevated attention so necessary in prayer may not be dulled or dissipated in this they show that when attention cannot be sustained it ought not to be deadened but that when it is sustained it should not be readily interrupted let us hear what those brethren in egypt say themselves of this aspirative prayer they call it brief and pure prayer and saint benedict does the same in his rule they chose it for their private prayer both in their cells and at their work they said of it that it was not subject to distractions or to temptations abbot isaac in the conferences calls these short and frequent aspirations the secret and familiar prayer within the cell of the heart which is open to none but god the searcher of hearts so that the adverse powers do not see this kind of petition and cannot interfere with it this brief and frequent prayer he says 
allows the deceiver of souls no time to put anything into the heart it is true sacrifice for a sacrifice to god is a contrite heart it is the sacrifice of justice and the sacrifice of praise these are rich victims holocausts with the marrow when offered by humble and contrite hearts when we make these offerings with spiritual discipline and pure intention we may sing with faithful virtue let my prayer be directed as incense in thy sight the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice all the prayers of the church are reducible to aspirations the lord's prayer consists of seven aspirations in form of petition and they can be used separately as well as unitedly the collects of the church consist each of a briefly expressed motive to inspire confidence and an aspiration in form of petition the psalms are full of brief forms of aspiration alternating with motives the saints have left us many examples of their favorite aspirations which are fervent luminous and beautiful but they are always best when they come fresh and simple from the abundance of the heart nor is repetition and even frequent repetition undesirable when the soul is so inclined on the contrary for love delights to dwell on the same sense and to prolong the same sweet melody of prayer and praise returning to it again and again sustaining and deepening the same devout affection when our blessed lord rebuked the use of much speaking in prayer and called it a heathenish custom he admonished us to look to the spirit object and intent of prayer rather than to the uttering of many words god looks not to words but to desires on this subject st augustine has said everything in his instruction to proba it is one thing he says to speak much in prayer it is another thing to pray much and to extend the time of prayer it is written of our lord that he passed whole nights in prayer and that he prayed the longer but this was for an example to us let there be much prayer when the intention is fervent but without much speaking for to speak much encumbers the action of the spirit with superfluous words to pray much is to ascend towards god with a continual elevation of a devout heart there is nothing more injurious to the spirit of prayer than the artificial composition of fine speeches this is the work of vanity and self-love destructive of simplicity and sincerity of heart mental prayer is purely interior although interior words are not absent and especially the mental use of aspirative sentences according to the method pursued mental prayer is divided into meditation and contemplation meditation begins with visible things presented to the imagination and ascends by degrees to the invisible things of god contemplation has already found the invisible things of god and dwells upon them with wonder awe and delight whilst the soul is profoundly humbled into her nothingness before the infinite majesty of god 
meditation searches and feels after that truth and goodness which contemplation has found so that what begins in meditation may end in contemplation when placed in a narrow valley our prospect is closed in on every side the view of the heavens above us is limited as well and we can only conjecture what there is beyond but if we toilsomely ascend the mountainside on reaching the top the prospect opens in all its magnificence and the expansion of the heavens above exalts the mind and reveals to us what the earth contains below this laborious ascent resembles meditation but contemplation is already on the mountain and has neither to imagine nor to reason but only to look with admiration into the prospect of truth which god from his heavens reveals to us yet conscious of the limitations of our mind and of the obscurity of the creative medium through which we see we feel how little and feeble is the creature before the creator meditation is fruitful with labour contemplation is more fruitful without labour hence contemplation is a special gift of the holy ghost and perseverance in its exercise is founded upon the gift of fundamental patience or fortitude yet almost all souls have to make their first beginnings of mental prayer with meditation st thomas observes that in our free and private prayer we use words and signs the crucifix for example so long as they help to dispose us to mental or interior prayer but when they become a distraction and a hindrance to interior recollection the use of them should yield to pure mental prayer when meditation itself becomes a distraction because the mind and heart tend to pure recollection and this habitually it is the sign of a call to contemplation this prayer the psalmist describes in the following words my heart hath said to thee my face hath sought thee thy face o lord will i still seek psalm twenty six verse eight but the saints have a maxim that the meditation or contemplation of our lord's passion should never be abandoned there are so many valuable manuals on the method of meditation that it will be unnecessary here to say more on the subject those who are still novices in interior prayer who have not yet mortified the restlessness of their interior faculties into tranquillity who are still much engaged with the senses and with sensual things who have not yet gained much control over the imagination of sensible things these will often require the help of a book to steady their attention and when their meditative faculties are dull and refuse to act they should have recourse to aspirations an exercise of prayer that is always easy one thing should be especially avoided that is the converting of meditations into a study as though it were a literary exercise this snare should be shunned most carefully it not only destroys the childlike simplicity of prayer but takes the mind from god the true object and end of prayer and occupies us with the vanities of self-love 
but where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty two corinthians chapter three verse seventeen the holy spirit is the mover of prayer and though every one should learn a good method of meditation yet to tie the soul always to that method in all its rules would not only injure freedom but cause the soul to lose the touch and attraction of the holy spirit no one thinks of putting all the rules of grammar into every letter that he writes no one thinks of putting all the rules of rhetoric into every discourse that he delivers his production would be a chained-up folly rules are of value when required not when out of place those who look more to rules than to the spirit of prayer are the pedants of prayer they will never make much progress in this holy exercise when one point in the meditation fills the soul with light and brings us to the divine end of prayer why leave the end of prayer already gained to go in search of another point this is to go backwards instead of forwards and will only bring distraction when the soul is ardently moved to aspirations in the sight of god she has reached the essence of prayer why return from this pure prayer to the things of imagination this is to come down from spiritual to visual things and from the fervour of prayer to its first beginnings when meditation raises the soul to contemplation to abandon that contemplation for the sake of obeying the rules of meditation is like descending the steps of jacob's ladder for no other object than to endeavour to reascend it is to come down from the mountain of light into the valley of shadows a little of that pure and serene light will do more to teach us the knowledge of god and of self than all that can be seen through the shadows of the imagination the holy spirit is the true teacher of prayer and the liberty of prayer consists in freely following the divine attraction which always leads to greater simplicity humility love patience and union with god commit thy way to the lord and trust in him be subject to the lord and pray to him psalm thirty six verses five through seven the work of justice shall be peace and the service of justice quietness and security for ever isaiah chapter thirty two verse seventeen it is very important for the peace of the soul in prayer to remember that present consolation is not the essential answer to prayer and that its greatest effects are obtainable without sensible consolation the answer to prayer is not always felt at the time or even given at the time and its greatest fruits are laid up in eternity contemplation rises above the senses above the imagination above all processes of the reasoning powers collected within herself the soul rises above herself and with a simple view beholds though darkly as through a glass some manifestation of the beauty goodness and greatness of god which deepens her sense of god and affects her with wonder admiration and love giving her some foretaste of blessedness 
sometimes however this contemplation is very obscure and the presence and goodness of god are felt as it were through thick darkness rather than seen in open light it gives to the humble and adoring soul either great light and refreshment or a secret sense of god according as it is luminous or obscure but in the latter case it gives us a more humiliating knowledge of ourselves the holy psalmist describes the divine source of contemplation in these words with thee is the fountain of life and in thy light we shall see light psalm thirty five verse ten and he aspirates his gratitude for the gift in these words the light of thy countenance o lord is sealed upon us thou hast given gladness to my heart psalm four verse seven the acts of contemplation are four to seek after god to find him to feel his sacred touch in the soul and to be united with him and enjoy him st paul has expressed all this in a certain way in his discourse to the athenians that they should seek god if haply they may feel after him or find him although he be not far from every one of us for in him we live and move and have our being acts chapter seventeen verses twenty seven and twenty eight we seek after him with our mind feel after him with our spirit find him when the light of his countenance shines upon us and the sense of his goodness penetrates our heart and have our life and movement in him when we love him with our whole heart soul and strength we know that we have our being in him when he gives us the light to see that he is all things to us and that we are nothing in ourselves wherefore the psalmist says seek ye the lord and be strengthened seek his face evermore psalm 104 verse 4 he must be sought evermore says st gregory because he must be loved evermore to contemplate is to be on the mountain of revelations with moses or on the mountain of transfiguration with the three chosen apostles or at the feet of jesus with mary magdalene it demands an abstraction for the time at least from mortal cares and solicitudes it not only calls for a mortified body but for a mortified spirit that the interior powers may be collected may become serene and peaceful and the soul arise above all that is not god hence the active life and the combat with nature precede the gift of contemplation contemplation says st gregory is a sepulchre in which all depraved works and things of this world are buried together with the contumelies of the body and the petulance of the imagination whilst the spirit ascends by a holy operation to behold the things of god for you are dead that is to yourself and your life is hidden with christ in god the same great pontiff and doctor in another place draws this distinction between the two kinds of life which god allots to those who serve him almighty god in his holy word instructs his servants in two kinds of life the active and the contemplative 
the active life feeds the hungry instructs the ignorant and corrects the erring brings back the proud into the way of humility has care of the infirm and provides subsistence for those who are dependent on us the contemplative life maintains the love of god and of our neighbour with the whole mind and heart but rests in peace from extreme activity and adheres to the one desire of god alone casting away all other cares the soul burns with the desire of seeing the face of her creator knowing with grief that she bears the load of her corruptible body she thinks with ardent desires how she may be present among the angelic choirs and with the heavenly citizens there to enjoy the vision of her incorruptible creator for evermore yet she can only obtain the sight of god's beauty in a certain measure but a hand's breadth as it were for with whatever love she may be enkindled with whatever strength she may tend towards god she is so far from perfectly seeing what she loves that in this life she only begins to see as the strenuous apostle says we see now through a glass in a dark manner but then face to face now i know in part but then i shall know even as i am known one corinthians chapter thirteen verse twelve to continue the celebrated instruction of st gregory in contemplation the mind strives to rise above the man and stretches forward unto spiritual things endeavouring to transcend what is visible to the senses and to reach what is celestial thus the spirit is drawn upwards that it may expand upon things divine at times the spirit conquers and soars above the contentious darkness with which at other times it is blinded and the soul is secretly and slightly touched by something from the incomprehensible light of god but by reason of her infirmity she soon returns from that wonderful light and falls back upon her darkness anew there to sigh in her obscuration it should however be plainly understood that no one can advance so far in contemplation as to penetrate even to one single ray of god's incomprehensible light the almighty cannot be seen in his brightness what is seen is something beneath god but it greatly refreshes the soul whilst the glorious vision of god is reserved for the world to come st gregory himself is one of the greatest examples of the union of the contemplative with the active life whilst governing the universal church with vigorous energy he never abandoned that gift of contemplation which gave light and force to all his active works it is the privilege of saints and holy persons when called to the duties of the active life to keep always within them a cell of quiet recollection into which god alone is allowed to enter and being faithful to detachment as well as to recollection they are able to put aside external things in the tranquil hour devoted to contemplation the spirit of which continues with them amidst the most energetic employments this st gregory himself observes in the same discourse 
be it known that as the good order of life tends from action to contemplation it is also often useful to transform contemplation into action that what contemplation enkindles in the soul may come forth in the active duties of life to make them more perfect to understand the conduct of the soul in contemplation it must be clearly comprehended how much depends on the conduct of the will for although the mind is the medium and as it were the mirror in which we see it is the will as st thomas remarks that moves and elevates the mind and holds it firm and steadfast to the object of contemplation hence the great authorities on this kind of prayer insist that the fortitude of the will is the moral foundation of contemplation the spiritual appetite is the spring that moves the desire of contemplating the divine beauty of truth but what awakens the appetite is the love and desire of beholding and feeling the beautiful things of god as our divine lord teaches us where thy treasure is there is thy heart also st matthew chapter six verse twenty one hence contemplation begins with love and ends in greater love all pious souls are not called to contemplation but it is open nevertheless to every state of life to the poor as much as to the well provided to the simple as well as to the learned nay the simple are often better disposed for this holy exercise than the learned because of their singleness of mind and simplicity of heart most of the great writers on the subject have observed that the lovers of learning are often too curious too much devoted to reasoning and too fond of wandering through the regions of human knowledge to be well disposed for interior recollection and for the simple childlike contemplation of eternal truth however profoundly it would enlighten them yet not only among the servants of the altar and among those devoted to religion observes st gregory but even in the married life some are found who receive this precious gift but those who are by nature restless and unquiet or who have not subdued their spirit by interior mortification or who have not brought themselves into habits of recollection are unfit for this kind of prayer again as holy job tells us wisdom is not to be found by him who knoweth not the price thereof neither is it to be found in the land of them who live in delights job chapter twenty eight verses twelve and thirteen the man who receives the light of contemplation has his heart within him he is not immoderately taken up with external things that light cannot be infused into the things of the senses nor can it enter into those corporal images that fill the imagination it is the spiritual light of spiritual things known only to spirits whoever desires this light should have great care to keep the soul in a state of humility and should never suffer the soul to be elated over the grace received that light enters obliquely as it were through the window of the mind but the thief should not be allowed to enter after it 
for true contemplation keeps down the sense of self and the spirit of selfishness as well the divine truth enters through the window of the mind but the boastings of elation should be kept out the window of contemplation admits light but excludes the storm it opens to the entrance of grace but is closed against the admission of pride we say nothing here respecting those rare and extraordinary gifts of contemplation to which no one should have the presumption to aspire they come of some wonderful and unexpected visit of god and can never be obtained by human industry but the effects that follow the ordinary exercise of contemplation are these three the first is wonder admiration and awe at beholding some manifestation however remote of the beauty power and sublimity of god in his divine attributes or in his divine goodness to his creatures in the presence of which the soul is humbled down in veneration and adoration the second effect is the infusion of heavenly sweetness that fills the soul with love and gratitude for the soul converses with that eternal wisdom of whom the scripture says her conversation hath no bitterness nor her company any tediousness but gladness and joy wisdom chapter eight verse sixteen the third effect is the revelation to the creature of her littleness and nothingness apart from god searched as with lamps the soul sees her defects and failings laid open to her eyes the light of the sun of justice penetrates the soul and the beauty of goodness enters the heart withering up the desires of earthly and carnal things and drawing those desires into aspirations towards the god of all beauty and goodness the soul that has been once illuminated with the light of contemplation though but for a short time can never forget it nor can ever be the same as before a higher and purer standard of good is implanted in the mind and in the conscience to turn to evil would be much more fearful and loathsome than before the rending of the conscience would be more terrible to abandon god after the light of his countenance had shone with sweetness and power on the soul would be a spiritual apostasy to which the words of st paul are but too applicable it is impossible that is to say very difficult for those who were once illuminated have tasted also the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the holy ghost have moreover tasted the good word of god and the powers of the world to come and are fallen away to be renewed again to penance hebrews chapter six verses four through six such falls after true contemplation must be rare indeed the causes are more numerous where a pretension to the gift is false a mere delusion of the imagination rather than a union of mind and heart with the divine light generating conceit in place of humility but true contemplation brings with it such a knowledge of god and of self generates so much charity and humility and inspires such a horror of sin that the soul is drawn ever closer to god 
and further from selfishness from this exposition of the several kinds of prayer three paramount instructions may be gathered first in every kind of prayer whether vocal meditative aspiratory or contemplative whilst the manner is different the spirit is the same all prayer has one final end that of our beatitude in god and all should be exercised in spirit and in truth secondly every kind of prayer leads to interior recollection according to each one's gift and disposition and when this recollection ascends to contemplation the summit of prayer is reached there is nothing between the soul and god but his own gifts it is a certain foreshadowing within the brevity of time of the eternal contemplation of god thirdly the greatest fruits of prayer are not visible in the time of prayer but only a certain light refreshment and consolation even this is often withheld for the correction or the probation or the discipline of the soul but the memory of that refreshment is a great encouragement in the time of trial the great reward of prayer is reserved for eternity and the generous soul will say give me now the thorns and keep the crown for eternity <laughs>